As you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? At the end of our passage last week, Paul gave his audience a command. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. His admonition is that to be a Christian, we must realize who we are. Christians are those who have been made alive by Christ to live as Christ's very own. In other words, we could say that the Christian is one who has been converted to Christ. Seems like a rather obvious statement how much we talk about conversion in and around the church, but it gets more interesting when we consider what conversion actually is. It is the act of being changed. As John Stott puts it, being truly converted to Christ is an act of self-surrender. Self-surrender leads inevitably to slavery, and slavery demands a total, radical, exclusive obedience. That language probably doesn't sound all that appealing to many of us, at least on the surface. But as we dive into Paul's teaching, we find that living as a convert to Jesus is the best possible way any of us could ever live. Because in living for Jesus, we live the freely submitted life, the righteous life, and the spirit life. And so let's start with this idea of a freely submitted life, living a freely submitted life. Those words don't seem to go together very well. So what are we talking about here? Well, at the beginning of our passage... Paul addresses a similar question to the one that we had last week. He writes, what then? Are we to sin because we are, because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. These verses make even more sense when we know a little bit about the time period and the culture that Paul was writing into. You see, in the Roman Empire at that time, slavery did not only occur through conquering or kidnapping or selling people. There was also voluntary slavery. Some people willingly chose to be slaves. Why would they do that? To us, that sounds absolutely insane, right? We could barely imagine a worse idea than being enslaved intentionally. Because in our time and place, we tend to value individual liberty and autonomy more than anything else. Well, they didn't think like we do. You see, for some who were so poverty-stricken, 
who had little chance of bettering themselves in a culture where social mobility basically did not exist, slavery, at least to them, offered a chance at a better life. A slave in a wealthy home would have a roof over their head. They'd have enough food to eat, and in time, perhaps even an important role in running that household. And so the thinking at that time went better than that, than to die alone and hungry. And so they would offer themselves as slaves. Paul picks up on this image to make a point about how Christians are called to live their lives. He uses the image of slavery, which admittedly is shocking to us. But he does so to show us that everyone who lives, every one of us, we freely offer or present ourselves to be a slave of either sin or righteousness. Jesus taught much the same thing in John's gospel when he said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. What Paul is saying then is that all of us will be a slave to something. Sin or righteousness, death or life, Adam or Jesus. And how the Christian lives is the evidence of whom they have submitted themselves to. We have a hard time grappling with a teaching like this for for many reasons. The language of slavery certainly does not sit well with us. But even the way that Paul talks about how we ultimately live for one thing or the other, we we don't know how how to deal with such a stark contrast because we assume that we are completely free agents. We are neither servant nor slave to anyone or anything. And so how dare Paul even suggest otherwise? If anything, to contemporary ears, this is just more evidence that Christianity is completely out of touch with the times. And we think that because when we hear the word freedom, our mind instantly jumps to political freedom. Freedom of religion, freedom to say and do whatever it is that I want, freedom to live the life that I freely choose, however I freely choose to do it. But here's the thing, friends. At this point, Paul is not the least bit interested in political or civil freedom. He will address the Christian's relationship to government later on in this letter, and we'll dive into it when we get there. But here, he doesn't care about any of that. He is speaking about something far more important. He's speaking about the freedom of the soul. A freedom that can and does exist regardless of how much or how little freedom we might have in the places we live. And a freedom that is infinitely, indescribably more important. Because the reality is, if our souls remain slaves to sin, we can have all the political freedom we want. It will make no difference in the end. 
You are either a slave to sin or to righteousness, Paul tells us. And then in verse 17, he writes this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The freedom that Paul cares about is the gracious act of Jesus Christ to set the heart free from the slavery of sin in order that we might become a slave of righteousness. We will serve a master. It is that simple. We will serve a master. Every single person in this world, either sin or Jesus. And so living as a convert to Jesus means being set free to serve the cause of righteousness by submitting ourselves to the righteous one who shows us what righteousness means. We follow the one who laid aside all of his divine prerogatives so that he might be a servant of all, who submitted himself to the will of the Father so that he might set all people free from sin by dying for them. That is the freedom that Jesus truly desires for us and that Jesus truly delivers for us. The freedom to live in submission to him rather than to sin. You're submitted to one or the other. Which one is it for you? Who are you submitted to today? By living that freely submitted life to Jesus, the the convert then gets to live the life of righteousness. And that means living a life modeled on Jesus himself. What Paul shows us here is that this this righteousness, it it is the free gift of God which is born in our hearts. As we just read in verse 17, the Lord works to set us free from the slavery of to, from slavery to sin, which is why Paul then writes, "Thanks be to God." It's why he starts the verse that way because he knows that we remain in slavery without the work of God in our lives. And by being set free from by being set free by him, we have then become obedient from the heart. Now, in the ancient world, the heart was considered the, a person's very center. It was the core of their being. And so believing or doing something from the heart meant believing or doing it with the entire self. And so the righteous life that Paul points us to here is the one that is entirely submitted to Jesus. Every part of us, nothing at all held back from him. No being righteous when everybody's looking. And then the moment they turn away and you think you can get away with it, you start chasing after sin again. That's not the way it works. We belong entirely to Jesus, or not at all. In belonging to him, then, the call is to pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness from the heart. Instead of presenting yourselves as slaves to lawlessness, which only leads to more lawlessness, Paul tells us, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Choose 
righteousness he is urging his listeners. Pursue it. Now, because of my background and how I think and how I was formed, when I hear something like this, my mind instantly jumps to one of my favorite coaches pushing his players forward by yelling at them to choose hard. Do the hard thing. Because let's face it, it can be really hard to choose to live a righteous life, can't it? Until now, the life of sin is all we've known. And so righteousness is completely alien to us. It's why we need the righteousness of Christ to cover us, to set us free. But even though it is hard, listen to Paul's words here. Notice what he says. Present your members, meaning yourself, your body, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification, it's that process of being made holy. It's an ongoing thing, something that that needs to be built up in us over the course of our entire lives. But every single time that we choose righteousness over sin, it gets easier to choose righteousness over sin. The next time, and the time after that, and the time after that. It's how sanctification works. The more we practice by the power of the Spirit working in us, the more we practice looking and acting and sounding like Jesus, the easier it becomes because our hearts are conformed to His. Now, we instinctually understand this from the opposite perspective. The first time we commit a particular sin... We kind of need to talk ourselves into it, don't we? We look at something and we're like, yeah, I know this isn't right. But gosh, it won't hurt just this one time, right? It'll be fine this time. And so we do it that once, and then what happens? An avalanche of sin just comes rolling down because we just made it that much easier for ourselves. The same is true on the other side, friends. The first time we choose righteousness, it's hard. But once we have made that choice, well, things begin to change, don't they? It gets easier to do the same thing again. It gets easier to see how much better righteousness is over sin. And suddenly, holiness begins to flood our hearts and our minds and our souls, and we start living out of that holiness as we're made more like Jesus. If the same is true on the one side, why would we assume it's not true on the other? Given that that other side is the one that God wants for you in the first place. And friends, it needs to be said, just to be clear, Choosing righteousness, even when it's hard, is 100% worth it. Paul asks his, his audience a fantastic question here in verse 21. He writes, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. To put it another way, what has this path of sin really gotten you? 
We know the things that sin leaves us with. It's guilt, shame, and regret. We forget all about that when the sin's sitting right in front of our face and we need to make a decision. But in the end, where does it leave us? Guilt, shame, regret. And then we look back at our sin and we think, why would I ever do that? Why did I say that? Why did I treat that person that way? That's not me. I know better than that. And so the obvious question is, if you know better than that, why do you keep doing it? Why present yourself as a slave to sin when there's a better way? Verse 22. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two paths, friends. Two paths. One is filled with shame, regret, and spiritual death. The other is filled with righteousness, light, peace, and life. We will be a slave to one or the other. And so do not let misplaced notions of freedom and autonomy keep you from the path of life. Do not let the easy, simple path of sin keep you from, yes, the initially harder but far more fruitful path of righteousness. The choice seems obvious to me. And yet, living that freely submitted life, living the the righteous life, living as a convert, it is not possible without the spirit life. To close the passage, Paul uses the image of marriage, showing that husband and wife are bound to one another so long as they live. Just as the Christian being brought from death to life is united with Christ forever. The point that Paul is making here is that the Christian being set free to the written, from the written code being made alive again by the Spirit of God, the life of the Christian is no longer about keeping the letter of the law, meaning making sure you're checking all the right boxes to ensure that we somehow can make ourselves righteous. Rather, we've been set free from all of that to live the Spirit life, the life that is led by the Spirit of God who has made us Christ's own forever and who shows us what is good. Now, to be clear, because often we hear, okay, I'm living the spirit life, I can ignore any kind of standard. we got to be clear about this. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Remember what he said back in verse 17. Paul stated we've been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. He's explicit about this. And what he means here, John Stott tells us, is a pattern of sound teaching or structure of apostolic instruction which included both elementary gospel doctrine and elementary personal ethics. Paul, evidently, sees conversion not only as trusting in Christ, but also as believing and acknowledging the truth. Life in the Spirit doesn't mean floating around on your own, following your gut instinct, and hoping you get it right in the end. 
Life in the Spirit is about having our hearts and minds conformed to the word and will of God. He shows us how to live by revealing the truth of Jesus Christ to us and then applies that truth in our hearts and throughout our lives. And so just as the husband and wife are united in marriage, so the Christian and Jesus are united by the Spirit to live this life together. You don't have to live it on your own. The Christian has been set free from striving and struggling to fulfill the requirements of the law. Rather, we are set free by the Spirit of God to live a submitted, righteous life by His power and His strength. All the written code could do for us is show us how far short of God's standard we fall. But the Spirit of God works in us to train us up in righteousness. He does in us what we could never do for ourselves. And while there is endless truth that we could pull from just that, what I want to highlight for us today is that Because we are united to Christ by the Spirit of God, every time we feel that that pull in us to go back to the slavery of sin, we actually have a way out. We will all sin again. We know that. But we don't have to go down that path. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And so He can and will set you back on that path of righteousness as many times as is necessary. He will show you how to follow Jesus. He will show you how to apply Christ's teachings to every single moment of your life. He'll show you how to make decisions that honor Jesus. He shows us what it is to serve Jesus in this world, and he teaches us how to choose hard, how to choose righteousness over sin. It's that fruitful process of sanctification. The Spirit producing his fruit in us so that we are more like Jesus. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Paul doesn't write it for us here, but we'll jump to another one of his letters. Where he tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can't speak for you. But if my life is going to be submitted to one thing or another, I think I want to be submitted to the one that's going to work all of that in me. I can't speak for all of you, but that list sounds a whole lot better than shame, guilt, regret, and death. Do you have those things in your life? That list I just read for you. Do you have that growing in your life? Do you know the love, joy, peace, keep going down that list, all of it. Do you know that in your life? Do you know the freedom that comes from submitting to Jesus? A freedom far more important than all the freedom that people out there want to go on and on about. 
Do you know the righteousness he works in and through you? Because it's there if you want it. The path is there in front of you. It might seem harder, but it is better and it is more joyful in the end without question. This day, the Spirit of God, my friends, bids you to come to him, to have your heart set free by Christ, to free you from sin and death, to walk the seemingly hard but joy-filled road of righteousness with him. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.